Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 12 is in the books. We are both playing hurt. You could call this each of our flu games. You're on the road. This is, uh, you know, there was a bunch of blowouts this weekend. This is probably going to be a mess of an episode, but let's just get right into it. How are you, sir? Are you ready to go? I'm, I'm doing well, man, as well as I can be with a head cold. Um, I'm hanging in there. We were trying to do this on Sunday night, and I fell asleep. So my bad as one does with a cold. Yeah. I, I've got some like chest sinus stuff going on as well. And Beautiful. so if you hear some coughing and chest, you know, throat clearing and all that, just, you know, please, uh, please hang with us and ignore that. But yeah, we, uh, we do have some games to recap here from week 12, uh, six of them to be exact. Um, a lot of these, unfortunately were blowouts. So I don't know how much we're going to go into a lot of detail on several of these, but where we have to start is with one of those blowouts, Mike, as is tradition. And um, <clears throat> here are your winners and the new basketball conference podcast, Real Tech Champions. Mike, it's your Virginia Tech Hokies. Congratulations to you, sir. Uh, the Hokies took down my Yellow Jackets 45 to nothing on uh, Saturday afternoon. I was not really thrilled about how that whole thing went, but I imagine that you were. I was very happy with how it went, and Joey, it was a long time coming. We're in year four of the podcast. It is the first time Virginia Tech can be called the Real Tech. And I'm pretty, least sure, they, I'm pretty sure they've been favored every year, too. I believe that's correct. And <laughs> last year was a blowout at Lane Stadium. The year before that, oh, man, I don't really want to talk about the uh, 28. 17 game Mm -hmm. and then 2016 was the uh justin thomas was injured offensive linemen were injured skill position players were injured hey let's go to lane stadium and beat a team that ended up going to the acc championship game um with the backups yeah yeah, not yeah i'm never thrilled with losses but not a single one of those made me very happy so here we are uh 45 nothing it was a complete and total dominant team victory joey um, for the second week in a row, Virginia Tech, I came away very impressed with Virginia Tech and the way that they played. And obviously, as an alum, I'm really happy with how this season has turned around. Uh, they have gotten it done on offense and on defense in a complementary fashion, which was not the case early in the year. Virginia Tech has quietly become one of the best rushing teams in the ACC with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. His threat to run the football uh, is apparent, and it's apparent to the defense that he's defenses that he's playing right now. Uh, you look at the way he's throwing the football as well. He's been efficient enough to get the job done. Uh, by all accounts, he's been efficient in, in how he's thrown the football. But you know, even with him missing some throws, he's been efficient enough to get the job done and keep the defenses off balance. 
every single play they're calling right now is working, Joey, and I think it has everything to do with the true running threat that they now have on their offense, both in the backfield with Deshaun McLeese, who's had an excellent second half to the year, the best he's looked in his career so far, the reemergence of Keyshawn King, the freshman running back, who was one of the few bright spots early in the year and was injured, and he's come back, and he's looked really good since returning from a knee injury. Um, Hendon Hooker, uh, you know, he's been banged up for a good bit of this year, even uh, when he was not the starter and was coming in in relief, he, you know, he banged up his non-throwing shoulder and then he messed up his knee against North Carolina and missed the ND game. But the last couple of weeks, he's looked really good since returning from injury. And Joey, the defense continues to emerge as one of the better units in the ACC, at least one of the most improved units in the ACC. And a lot of that has to do with obviously their front seven playing well, the defensive line that's filled with mostly freshmen and sophomores continues to gain more and more traction. And, Joey, Caleb Farley, a cornerback, he, you know, started out last year with a bang with the two interceptions against Florida State. That was probably one of the best games of his career right off the bat, but he didn't play well the rest of the season last year as a redshirt freshman, but he's emerged as one of the best corners in the country, Joey. He's going to be a first-team All-ACC selection, and he may get honorable mention uh, All-American noise with the way that he's playing if he keeps it up in the final couple of games of the year. So, mm-hmm. Caleb Farley's been really good, and with the way he's emerged for Virginia Tech, um, you know, the fans better enjoy him while they have him because if he continues to play like this, he might not be a a four-year eligibility guy at Virginia Tech. He might be the next in a long line of defensive backs to go to the NFL early. But, Joey, one last thing on on Georgia Tech real quick. They didn't show up. Um, It was apparent from the get-go they did not show up. They had no interest in playing well in this game. They looked completely ill-prepared. And, Joey, I put that on the coaching staff. Um, we talked about how ill-prepared Georgia Tech looked against the Citadel early this year, which was a very alarming loss even in a year-zero situation at Georgia Tech. Uh, Joey, you've been all over this uh, on Twitter. You've been all over this on the podcast multiple times. There are a lot of things to like about Jeff Collins. There have been some promising moments throughout his first year as the head coach of Georgia Tech, but there have also been some head-scratching moments. Not being prepared well enough to beat the Citadel is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how down Georgia Tech is, Georgia Tech should not lose to the Citadel, especially against an offense that they've gone against for years on years on years in practice against the option. They got torn apart in that game, and Joey, Virginia Tech is a lot better than the Citadel. I get that, but the way that Georgia Tech came out and looked completely unprepared to play on Saturday was alarming and reminded me of the Citadel game. And that's going to be a problem for Georgia Tech if they continue to, A, improve and get these types of performances, or B, not really improve all that much and have these types of performances. Either way, they got to figure this out quickly because you can't have a team that's fighting to to rebuild and, and fighting to reemerge and gain some confidence, have losses where you look completely unprepared to play. And that's what yep. Georgia Tech looked like on Saturday. And it was pretty disappointing from that standpoint. Yeah, completely. I I came into this thinking I, I don't want to really break down any of the specific game action. I don't I don't think there's anything really worth breaking down there on a you know this one play or, or that one series. I mean that the whole thing and, and I'm gonna just drop this in here real quick. Um, quick little swear warning for people listening in the car. Uh, three, two, one. Uh, this was a complete and unmitigated shit show for Georgia Tech from the beginning. Um, there it is. It was a total, total disaster. Um, like you said, I mean, they, they looked like they were completely unprepared to play. Um, I, 
Virginia Tech came in playing confident, played you know organized. They they looked very prepared and and, and playing a lot of really good football. And Georgia Tech comes in. I mean, they, the defense looked pretty good on the first drive, but after that, I mean, the, the entire first half it was like they were running in quicksand. So they, they were playing tentative. They were playing scared. They they didn't really know what they wanted to do. I it just it was not a good look. And like you said, Mike, I mean, this is not this is not the first time we've seen this this year. I tweeted this out at one point, um, I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday, but <clears throat> basically Georgia Tech has now played 10 games in the Jeff Collins era. This is the at least the third one you can look at and say that they were just straight up not ready to play. Uh, there was the Citadel game, there was this game, there's also the Duke game. They got blown the hell out by Duke earlier this year, and they were down like 38-7 to 7 or something at halftime. I mean... Hey, both techs have that in common, Joey. Yeah, right? What is it about Duke? And they may or may not even make a bowl game, but we'll get to them later. Um, yeah, so just, I mean, it was incredibly disappointing. I, it, at the end of the day, to me, I am not like off the Jeff Collins train, so to speak. You know, I, I'm not like, I don't sit here and think that this was like a mistake of a hire at this point because of this game or because even a couple of games, but I'm just saying that there's, there is a very concerning trend there of the team several different occasions throughout the year showing up just completely unprepared. You could even say a little bit about the Temple game, the same thing. They lost 24 to two. That probably wasn't quite as bad as the scoreboard looked. Um, They, they wasted a couple opportunities there, but it's just, I, at the end of the day, Mike, we said coming into this year, the, the key success criteria for Georgia tech is you need to look better in November than you looked in September. And and I thought about this, you know, too in the last day or so. Paul Johnson's first team in 2008 in September, September, they looked horrible, right? Like damn near lost to Gardner Webb, and you know had that. By November, they ran circles around Miami, and they beat Georgia in Athens. You know, Matthew Stafford Georgia team, right? That's the kind of thing you'd be looking for here. Not to say that they should be winning every game, but that there was improvement through the year. And up until last week with Virginia, you saw that. You know, there there was just some pretty marked improvement throughout the year. But with this, this is just a it's a huge setback. It makes me really question what we're going to see from the team like five days later when NC State comes to town. A desperate NC State team, by the way, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But yeah, I, I don't like what I saw here, and, and there's a really concerning trend. But ultimately, I mean, credit to the Hokies, they. They came out. They did not miss a beat. They they were up what thirty one to nothing at halftime. I mean, it was just it was never close, and they they played well the whole time. And Georgia Tech just sort of rolled over in a lot of ways. It was uh, it was really frustrating to watch on Saturday afternoon. I totally get the frustration because I lived it as a Virginia Tech fan for the first half of this year, a good bit of last year, and I I get it. And there are times where we talked about you know Virginia Tech in the same context looking like they're not prepared to play, right? We talked about earlier this year against a couple of FCS opponents. We talked about it against an FBS opponent in Old Dominion. You know, Virginia Tech jumped out to that huge lead and then blew it in the second half. Um, Obviously won the game, but it was closer than a lot of people thought. Um, Virginia Tech, it looks like they've turned a corner. I think on a more macro level, um, it seems like they've got some things figured out. I'm interested to see how they react now that they're back in the top 25. Do they handle this like a mature football team? Do they handle this like an unmature football, t- immature football team? Unmature. There you go. Playing hurt. Like an immature football team. Um, we'll see what happens here uh, against Pittsburgh. It's a big game in Blacksburg this weekend. And with the way Pittsburgh looked, Virginia Tech better be ready to play. Absolutely. They better. Um, 
So that's all I got here. Um, let's let's move on. Virginia Tech forty five, Georgia Tech nothing. Uh, by the way, we're, we're going to come back to this game in awards. Just if you're uh, if you're listening to this, there's probably one little piece of information as a Georgia Tech fan you're waiting to hear referenced, and uh, we're going to reference it in awards. So we'll come back to that. Oh yeah. Uh, let's go back to Thursday night, Mike, where we've had probably the closest, most interesting game of the weekend. Uh, Pittsburgh thirty four, North Carolina twenty seven. This was an overtime win for the Panthers at home. Um, Pittsburgh jumps out to a, a 17 to 10 lead at halftime. North Carolina scores 17 in the fourth to tie it. Uh, they had a chance to win the game there at the end of the fourth quarter. Ended up having to settle for a field goal after they had like first and 10 from the pit 13 yard line and a couple incomplete passes and a, a rush for a loss. And next thing you know, they're kicking a field goal. Said it's overtime. Pitt scores a touchdown on their uh, overtime drive. North Carolina turns it over on downs, and that was it. Um, really good game from Kenny Pickett here. Had a couple of huge bombs over the top. Uh, really took the top off of the UNC defense. Um, North Carolina seemed to struggle to uh, adjust once Pittsburgh started breaking out the downfield passing attack. But really, that felt like about the only difference I saw in Pittsburgh in this game versus what we've seen in previous games was Shockey Jacques-Louis with a 74-yard touchdown catch, uh, Tazir Mack with a 48-yard catch. And so you got a little bit of that deep passing game mixed in. And next thing you know, I mean, they, they performed pretty well on offense, all told. Yeah, I mean, we saw an explosive Pittsburgh offense, which that was their only path to real victory in this game. Now, you know, Pittsburgh's defense has been okay this year. Their offense has not been very good. Uh, the explosive passing game in Pittsburgh was huge, though. And, you know, Pittsburgh's defense was able to hold down the North Carolina offense, like, just barely enough, right? Um, they were able to get a turnover from Sam Howell. Um, you know, Sam Howell, I thought, in this game was pretty good overall. You know, throws for 322 yards and three touchdowns. You know, as a team, North Carolina rushed for almost four yards per carry, led by Antonio Williams. He had 12 carries for 107 yards, including a 59-yard run, so that's really good. Mm -hmm. So North Carolina did play well offensively, and Pittsburgh's defense did not play as well as it's played at some, time, at some points throughout the season. But Pittsburgh's offense, like you mentioned, the, the difference was the explosiveness at receiver, at running back. They, made, they were able to make some big plays as well um you know it was a balanced rushing attack kenny pickett he had 12 carries for 53 yards and two touchdowns he had a couple of nice runs to extend drives in this game as well um on some crucial third down plays so pittsburgh was able to just make enough plays down the stretch especially in overtime when it counted and obviously hats off to kenny pickett and the way he played you know we talked about the rushing ability just now but he threw for 359 yards and a touchdown in this game as well so you know, we took care of the football, which is really important against a North Carolina defense that really isn't all that good. So you want to make sure you limit the opportunities they have to step on you, which Pittsburgh did. Um, I think overall this is just a really, really hard-fought competitive win for the Panthers in front of, like, 15 fans, which is one major thing I took away. It's like, man, I get this a Thursday night, but this is a huge, huge coastal game for Pittsburgh, and they didn't get anybody to show up, Joey. Yeah, and this is not really that far across town at Heinz Field from the University of Pittsburgh. Like, I mean, it's Pittsburgh's only so big of a town to begin with. Like, you should be able to get some people there, I, I, I like to think. Um, also of note for me here, Pittsburgh continues to kick field goals from inside the opponent's 10-yard line. Um, they had three field goals they attempted on the night, two of them from the 8 and the 6-yard line. Um, and, by the way, they missed one of those. So, you know. That's, they don't do it. That's a whole thing. That's not going to work, but... Yeah, ultimately a relatively shorter game in terms of, you know, not that many possessions. Um, a lot of longer sustained drives for both teams. 
It was pretty competitive throughout. At one point, Pittsburgh got up to a 24-10 to lead, but other than that, it was within a touchdown pretty much the entire game. Um, so I, just a good showing. Pittsburgh comes out at home, you know, in, in overtime and wins the game. But, I, you know, hats off to both teams. I, I think the other credit goes to North Carolina's defense really making Pittsburgh gain through the air. Um, A.J. Davis finishes this game 19 carries for 58 yards. Um, that's barely over three yards per carry. I mean, he did score a touchdown, but, you know, it, it, it was not a uh, not an easy night for Pittsburgh moving the ball on the ground. Um, Kenny Pickett really had a, a great game here and uh, probably the biggest reason Pittsburgh was able to win, at least offensively. Um, they also got five sacks out of their defense, two and a half from Jalen Twyman. Um, they, they gave Sam, Sam Howell quite a bit of, of problem uh, throughout the night. So um, good win for Pittsburgh. And one that neither you and I predicted. So cool. Yeah, not exactly. Not exactly. Um, so, yeah, again, Pittsburgh 34, UNC 27, North Carolina now 4-6. and six. They're going to have to win out against Mercer and NC State to make a bowl game. Um, I, I think that's going to be interesting to see that game in Raleigh here in a couple weeks. Um, actually, is it in Raleigh or is it in uh, – yeah, it's in Raleigh. So we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on North Carolina, whether they're able to make a bowl game after a hot start in year one under Mac Brown. I think they can do it. I think they can. I, I mean, right now, I'd take them over NC State. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let's go there. So, again, Pittsburgh 34, North Carolina 27 in overtime. Let's go there. Uh, Louisville 34, NC State 20. Uh, this game, I don't know if you got to watch any of this game, Mike, but at least in the first half, this game was a mess for both teams. Oh, yeah. There were no points in the first quarter. People were slipping and sliding all over the field. It it did not look good at all in the first uh, first half. Um NC State goes into halftime up 10-7. NC State was causing Louisville a lot of problems sending heavy blitz packages, and Louisville's offensive line was not adjusting well. Mikhail Cunningham got absolutely wrecked a couple times by NC State's defenders there in the first half. But Louisville got it solved at halftime. First four drives out of uh, halftime, Louisville goes three plays, 75 yards, touchdown, two plays, 40 yards, touchdown, 13 plays, 64 yards, touchdown, nine plays, 47 yards, touchdown. And what was a 10-7 game at that point became 34-17. NC State was not providing the offense to uh, keep up with that in a lot of ways on a, a cold and, you know, times rainy night there in Raleigh. So um, hats off to Louisville for making the adjustments there at halftime. They come back, win this game by two scores, and uh, they're also bowl eligible now, 6-4, and four, Mike. And uh, year one under Scott Satterfield, we continue to not be able to say enough good things about how good that team has become, how quickly, versus what they were last year. So... Credit to them. Credit to them is right. And, Joey, I like them to win their final two games. They got Syracuse at home, then at Kentucky. And that Kentucky team is not very good. I think Louisville can end up winning eight games this year. I think so. And, again, we want to talk about, you know, maybe Justin Fuente, maybe uh, Dabo Swinney or whatever for at least conference coach of the year. I have just a hard time seeing anybody winning it over Scott Satterfield and feeling okay about it, if that's the case. I agree. I and you know what, too? Like, Dabo has not lost in going on two years, right? Like, Yeah. Um, he hasn't lost calendar-wise in over two years. But from a, uh, like actual college football season standpoint, two full seasons he's going to go, it looks like, in the regular season, unless something wild happens here down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like they're going to uh, finish the, season, the regular season undefeated. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, how can you not give it to Dabo? Which... 
you know, they may end up giving it to Dabo. It's hard, and it would be hard to argue against that. But again, I would have a problem with it just because of where Louisville was a year ago and where I think they're going to end up at the end of a regular season. I mean, an eight and four record, Joey, puts you in one of the nicer bowl games in the ACC, right? Yeah. And this is a Louisville team that was one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the conference last year. I mean, they were not fun to watch. They quit on Bobby Petrino. He and the staff quit on them. Uh, it was not very good, and it was a toxic atmosphere. And you could see it from the opener against Notre Dame that this was going to be a different Louisville team. I wasn't sure how the results were going to pan out in year one. Um, can't remember what we predicted early in the year, you know, in the preseason when we previewed Louisville. I don't remember if we said that they'd make a bowl game or not. I, I think oh, you and I were both kind of – yeah, you and I were both, like, on the fence with that. Um, but, you know, all in all, I mean – you win this game in a dominant second half performance. You score 20 points in the third quarter. Like you mentioned, they scored on what four or five straight drives there um, encompassing the, encompassing the second half and turn into a blowout in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to be impressed with what Scott Satterfield was done. And on the flip side, Dave Doran, dude, um, it seems like Joey might've been right about you. Um, he was on this before anybody else was, and oh, is that Stuart Mandel from The Athletic all of a sudden talking about Dave Doran maybe not being so impressive at NC State? Asking some of the very same questions I've been asking, except like four or five months later, we talked about this in the off season, Joey. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. I, we had a show back in like April that we looked back at all the results we've gotten out of NC State over the last couple of years and compared it and kind of questioned. Is this as good as it's going to get? You know, so I. Yep. I'm. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Is all, Mike. Um, a couple other notes from this game. Um, Louisville, by the way, scored one of their touchdowns on a fake field goal. I don't know if you saw this, but they snapped the ball to the kicker. He rolls way out to the right. They're basically on the left hash. He rolls all the way to the right sideline, and like just before going out of bounds, he flips it into the end zone for a beautiful seven-yard touchdown pass. Um, so that was the uh, that was the final score of the night for the Cardinals. The other thing I was going to bring up. And, and as, as I was watching this game, and we got to halftime, and Louisville's down 10-7, and they had just looked completely out of sorts, I was starting to think about it. I mean, we really thought that Louisville last week coming off the bye was going to be, you know, pretty you know, pretty good and give Miami a run for their money, and they just looked completely out of sorts all of last week. Then they come in the first half of this game, and they look completely out of sorts, and it's like the first six quarters of football out of a, a bye week, their offense in particular looked awful, um, looked yep. disorganized and, and messy and everything. So I, I was caught off guard by that. I didn't really expect that at all, but um, they really put it together in the second half, um, hit a couple of big plays, and they are able to take advantage of NC State as, as aggressive as they were playing on defense. Um, what, what worked in the set, first half, they were able to make adjustments and, uh, and take advantage of it in the second half, really. So I thought that was a really encouraging sign to see from the Cardinal coaching staff. Yeah, for sure. It was. Yep. Louisville 34, NC State 20. Uh, let's keep moving here. we got a couple blowout games here to talk about. Uh, Mike, Syracuse 49, Duke 6. Where in the hell did this come from? Oh, man. Well, you know what's interesting, Joey? Neither you nor I thought that Duke was 10.5 points better than Syracuse. No. Um, we had Syracuse we both to cover. Duke would win. Yeah, we had Syracuse to cover 10.5 and, and Duke to win. Yep, and that seemed like a pretty safe bet, didn't it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Uh, like you mentioned, Syracuse 49, Duke 6. Um, I'd like to – I have a confession. I would um, – I'd like to apologize, actually, <laughs> Joey. Syracuse. Okay. Um, and I think you owe them an apology as well. Perhaps. Because you and I both said that they were not going to win a game in conference. Uh, did we say that? Probably. That's probably a thing I said, yeah. I'll, I'll allow yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we said that, we were unfortunately. Wrong. Yeah, we were wrong. Uh, we didn't say that at the beginning of the year. We said it like halfway through. We're like, man, this Syracuse team is some ass. And boy, <laughs> yeah, we, we forgot quote, their We quote tweeted a tweet from Nate Mink earlier today, our, our buddy from Syracuse, who was talking about how uh, last year Syracuse was picked to finish last in the Atlantic, ended up finishing second. This year they were uh, Louisville was picked to finish last in the Atlantic and is probably going to finish second. We quote tweeted that and said, by the way, Syracuse – pick to finish second this year, might finish last in the Atlantic. Um, and, yeah. And that is yeah. still the case. Um, it'll be either them or, and I am super blanking on who else it would be, but... Uh, Boston College. Boston College, yes. Um, both those teams right now, one and five. No, 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 it's, uh, it's NC State. Syracuse NC and, State. Syracuse and NC State tied at one and five Whoops. in conference. Um, so... NC State got here in one of their remaining games, and so does Syracuse, to try to uh, break that tie. But, um, you know, NC State has the tiebreaker, having already beaten Syracuse. So, uh, weird weird times in the Atlantic, we'll say that. Um, really, really impressive performance on the ground in this game. Syracuse with 43 carries for 286 and four scores. 230 of those yards coming on 26 carries from Jarvion Howard and Mo Neal. Um, I mean, they were just... They were physical. They were fast. They 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 ran the ball extremely well here. Tommy DeVito still not great. Six of fifteen. It did go for 105 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. So, <sighs> could be worse. Um, but overall, I mean, Syracuse starts the second half with a pick six, and then the offense just hits the gas. They ended up scoring 35 points in all in the in the second half. Um, Duke scores six points in the second quarter, and that was it. Um, Duke's offense continues to be more or less dead in the water, it really seems. I mean, Duke's offense made Syracuse's defense look good, so what yeah. more is there to say? Duke's second-half drive chart um, here, by the way, Mike. Pick six, interception, fumble, turnover on downs, three and out, seven plays punt, eight plays turnover on downs, end of game. Disgusting. That's, that is horrifying. So Yes, that's very bad. You're going to want to get that fixed if you're Duke. Yeah, yeah you think? Oh, shit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, Syracuse 49, Duke 6. We'll keep moving here. Uh, number 3, Clemson 52, Wake 3. I am pissed about this game, Mike. This Why are you was, pissed, Jeremy? This was my pick of the week. I had this game to go over 59.5 points, and Wake couldn't even give me, like, 7 or 10. Like, come on. And then just uh, – this is dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Wake finishes this game with a grand total of 105 yards of offense. It is, it's just, it's funny to me that Wake can give so many teams so many problems in this conference with their offense, the white claw offense, as it were. And yet, when they show up and play Clemson, I mean, it's just, it's like David and Goliath, but David doesn't even have a slingshot or like any clothes on. You know, he forgot to put his underwear on or something. I mean, it's just, it's just Wake finishes this game with five first downs in the game. Uh, there's there is just no end to the 
futility here of Wake's offense against Clemson's defense. Meanwhile, Clemson rolls up like 516 yards of offense, and I mean, that, I mean, that was pretty much just it. It was it was over pretty early. Uh, Wake, yeah, my, my favorite my favorite score in this game was not 52 to three. It was Wake Forest first downs versus Wake Forest points. Yeah. Um, closer than the experts think. Mm-hmm. Wake Forest first downs five. Wake Forest points three. Yeah. Close. Close game. I I'm gonna be honest. I hardly watched a sec. I, I started watching a little bit of this game in the last like seven or eight minutes of the game just to see if we could get a few more points on the board and I could be right. Uh, it didn't matter. I like this was just a route from the beginning. Thirty-one three at halftime. I mean, and and it just got worse from there. So I don't have anything else to say. Clemson's still rolling. War Machine mode. Don't get in the way of the train. Yeah, and uh, Trevor Lawrence, six more incompletions in this game, Joey. So he's up to 17 incompletions over his last four games. God, get it together, Trevor. God. Does he not know that the playoffs are coming up? The playoff committee is watching his performances right now. <sighs> Man. He had six incompletions? It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Man. Only four touchdowns? Only. He only had four more touchdowns than interceptions? Unbelievable. Travis Etienne, more importantly, Joey, he moved into second on the all-time, all-purpose yards list at Clemson behind T.J. Spiller. Yep. Here's the problem, Joey. He ain't catching C.J. Spiller. No. C.J. Spiller is over 3,000 yards ahead of Travis Etienne, if you were trying to remember how good C.J. Spiller was and how dynamic he was at Clemson. Yeah, not just Clemson folk heroes, but like ACC folk heroes. Talk about that. Yeah. C.J. Spiller, for sure. He was... I mean, he was like that entire offense there for a time, and he was impossible to stop. So, yep, best receiving threat, best running back, and best kick returner in the conference, and that adds up quickly. Sure does. Clemson fifty-two, Wake Forest three. Last one, Mike. Florida State forty-nine, Alabama State twelve. I'm gonna be honest; I didn't really watch at all. You know this this game either. All I know is that Alabama State scored more points on Florida State than Wake Forest scored on Clemson. Um, mm. Way more first downs. They even had more first downs than Florida State did. But um, at the end of the day, Florida State took care of business. They are six and five. They are bowl eligible, um, and uh, things seem to be going a little bit better for the Knowles under Mr. Odell Haggins, who interviewed for the job this week, by the way. So I guess you got to at least give him that courtesy. I don't. I don't think they're going to hire him. But at some point, you start to wonder maybe should they? This is at least his second stint as an interim head coach, and he's been. Like, almost undefeated in those stretches, so worth considering. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, Florida State, by the way, Joey, didn't look all that impressive in this game. They kind of fumbled, stumbled, fumbled around in the first half. Um, they were up 21-6 to at halftime. Alabama State kept it close. Uh, Kadaris Davis, Alabama State's quarterback, 27-39, of 262, um, and a touchdown in this game. Uh, you know, he hung in there. He did throw one interception, but – yeah, Alabama State really couldn't run the ball at all in Florida State, which you expect. Uh, but Florida State's offense, uh, it was okay at times. Um, you know, 208 yards on the ground, averaged 7.7 yards per carry. That's all good. And that's what James Aikens, Blackman. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Florida State didn't look all that impressive, but they won the game. And it's it's weird to say that when you win 49-12, to 12, but it is Alabama State. You want it to look a bit more convincing in the first half. But they got together in the second half, pulled away, and won. Yeah. Yeah, comfortable win here. Um, had a Jordan Travis sighting late in the game, former Louisville quarterback who transferred there this year. 
Um, he uh, he had the little exclamation point at the end of the game with a 61-yard touchdown run. Um, they're on Florida State's last possession with like 30 seconds left. Or wait, no, I had that wrong. That was uh, a couple of drives before that. He had like a, a really long touchdown run. Anyways, he, he was really good. Um, so it's good to see him succeeding in a new place, um, even if it's not with my Cardinals. Yeah, Florida State, Florida State 49, Alabama State 12. Uh, I've got one little note I want to throw in here, Mike, is uh, before we go in and do some awards. Uh, as I mentioned kind of throughout this podcast, we have three newly bowl-eligible teams this week. Uh, Virginia Tech got their seventh win, and again, they needed seven this year with two FCS teams on the schedule. Uh, Louisville and Florida State both got their sixth wins. That brings the ACC to eight bowl-eligible teams, Mike, uh, in, in a year where we weren't totally sure if they were going to be able to fill the slots at all. We've, uh, we've got eight so far and figure to have a few more. Um, the game is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, so we've got NC State at Georgia Tech coming up this Thursday. Yep. If NC State wins that game, and assuming that North Carolina wins against Mercer on, uh, on the following Saturday, that game in Raleigh will be for bowl eligibility, um, which will just add to that rivalry. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, other teams that are close, Duke has to win out. And they have, I believe, uh, Miami and at Wake Forest. Not in that order. Mm. Don't love it. Don't love it. And uh, Syracuse has uh, at Louisville and home against Wake. They got to win out. Don't, Don't love, love that. It. Yeah. And Boston College needs one win against either at Notre Dame or at Pittsburgh. Don't love that either. Also, don't love it. Yeah. So we might uh, we might only get like one more bowl eligible team this year, but. I mean, if the ACC is getting nine in a year where we really thought it was going to totally bottom out, eh, that, it could be worse. Could be. Lost, lost six one teams in there, though. Yeah. Go ACC to that. Just depth, Joey. <laughs> Conference depth. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on. Let's give us some awards. Um, I'm going to be honest, Mike. I don't know if I have a Go ACC moment of the week this week. Do you? Uh, um, it kind of goes hand in hand, depending on how you want to play it this week. Um. Do we want to just give it to Quentin Harris? It could kind of be like the You Tried Award, too, but we're going to give that to someone really special, near and dear to your heart. Yeah. But could it be Quentin Harris, shall we? Like, uh, I think it could be, just in, in general uh, across the across the evening. Yeah. Um, didn't run the ball well. This includes sacks, of course. 12 carries, 4 yards. Not good. Um, ugh. Yeah. 19-36, 157, 2 picks. Continues to be bad. Um, he's been... Brutal to watch this year, unfortunately. Not quite four and a half yards per attempt through the air. Uh, yeah. And not against what I would call like a really vaunted Syracuse defense. You know, they've yeah. they've been okay in spots, but not like this level of dominant. It's, you know, this is not the Quentin Harris we were seeing two months ago, for what that's worth. It's not. It's definitely not. And, Joey, maybe we can also give the Go ACC moment a week to Pittsburgh for missing field goals inside their own 10-yard line. I was about to mention that, too. Pittsburgh kicking a field goal from, like, the 8-yard line and missing it. Like, you get what you deserve, Pittsburgh, for oh, yeah. doing that. So, Go ACC to that. Go ACC Quentin Harris. Go ACC Pat Narduzzi, you know, end zone uh, or red zone decision-making. Um, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, Mike, and I told you that we were going to come back to this. We've got a stat that I did not mention earlier. Georgia Tech shut out by Virginia Tech. This is the first time they've been shut out since October of 1997 by Florida State. Um, that game was in Tallahassee. I, I have not – I've seen it around. I, I couldn't find it before we started recording. But this is also the first time Georgia Tech has been shut out at home since, like, the late 1950s. 
So, um, Jeff Collins in year one has lost to an FCS team and arguably the worst loss in school history, and now ended the uh, long, long, not shutout streak that was like top ten in the country. So, uh, Jeff Collins, you tried to uh, really carry a whole lot of goodwill from the fan base going right now, and uh, it's not going great. Not great, but there's always an opportunity to turn it around. Isn't that right, Justin Puente? That's right. Yeah, it's about to be crouton season, and so uh, better get after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they better they better recruit some some coaches who want to get the players motivated too. We gotta yeah. do that. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Um, team of the week, Mike. I think it's got to be Syracuse. Uh, getting that first ACC win in absolutely emphatic fashion. Um, huge win for that team. We really thought they might have been dead in the water, and uh, so they go out and get it done and keep their uh, bowl eligibility alive. Yeah, Syracuse covered the spread by 53 and a half points. So, hmm. yeah, that'll do it. Is there any point in there where you get like a like a bonus multiplier of if you cover by at least 50 points, you get twice your money back or something? If only. If only. I could have used that this weekend. Yeah, really. Um, I wonder what they were on the money line. That would have been a uh, an easy, easy underdog money line winner. So, should have yeah. been on that, I guess. Should have been, but we weren't. Yeah. Uh, lastly, player of the week and a guy that we have ragged on plenty throughout this season. But, Mike, I think it has to be Kenny Pickett. Um, he had a really good game for Pittsburgh, 25 of 41 for 359 uh, and a touchdown and then added 12 carries for 53 yards and two scores on the ground. Um, he was he was great. He was the biggest piece of Pittsburgh's offense. He played one of his best games he's played. Um, just when you think Kenny Pickett is one thing, he turns around and will turn into another thing real quick and then turn back into what he was just enough to confuse you. But um, tonight, he, or, yeah, this Thursday night, he was uh, a, a pretty fantastic player. He had a great game and uh, wanted to recognize him. His ability to make plays in the downfield pass game, what's the difference in that game against North Carolina? So shout out to him. Absolutely. Hitting some of those deep shots was, <sighs> sorry, completely the difference in the game. So um, good on you, Kenny Pickett. ACC Player of the Week, as far as we're concerned. All right. Mike, anything else before we get out of here? Let's get out of here before we both die. Yeah, really. Let's go get healthy. This is uh, this is about to get bad. So um, we're going to come back and preview Week 13. Now, we've only got two weeks left of football, but we're going to make the most of them. So come back and uh, check on those here in a couple days. Uh, Mike, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. I even did that one while suppressing coughs. So that's like extra level of difficulty involved. Uh, Big time. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, and most importantly, on the Anchor app. We ask that you do, and really appreciate those who have. And, uh, Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do, please do. We appreciate those who have. Um, and share us with your friends. We like adding people to the Basketball Conference podcast family. So uh, so go do that. Uh, Mike, anything yeah. else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. Let's go get some rest. You want to get healthy and come back and preview week 13? Have to, man. Two more weeks of the regular season here. Absolutely. Well, uh, we're going to make it. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon, and until next time, we'll see you soon.